Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. My name is Beth Shank, nurse scientist and sustainability leader in Missoula, Montana. On the podcast, I interview nurses who work at the intersection of health and environment. I have recently had the opportunity to meet Dr. Patrice K. Nicholas, director of the Massachusetts General Hospital Institute of Health Professions, newly launched Center for Climate Change, Climate Justice, and Health. We had the opportunity to present together on a panel at the American Academy of Nursing annual meeting in the fall of 2018 on the subject of climate change, environmental justice, and action. I have been looking forward to learning more about Dr. Nicholas' work ever since. Welcome to the podcast, Patrice. I've been so excited to talk with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and your nursing and what you're working on these days. Uh, th- thank you, Beth. I'm professor at the MGH Institute of Health Professions in the School of Nursing, and I was recently appointed as director of our newly launched Center for Climate Change, Climate Justice, and Health here at the Institute. We uh, have uh, a particular interest in developing climate change knowledge in our curriculum, in developing climate change scholarship and research, and also in partnerships with the community in addressing climate change and the health consequences of climate change. Interesting. And is this, uh, so, so MGH is Mass General Hospital, and is it a college of nursing and other uh, disciplines? It is. We have two schools. We're a freestanding free graduate program, graduate school, graduate institute. So all of our students have a baccalaureate degree or beyond a master's degree, et cetera, doctoral degrees. And they've become interested in the health profession. So they either join us in the School of Nursing. We also have other health professions with another school, which is the School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences that includes uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy, communication sciences and disorders, physician assistant studies, and a genetics counseling program, as well as uh, PhD programs in health and rehabilitation sciences. Wow, that's great. And so are you working on climate curriculum in all of those programs? Initially, we're working on climate curriculum development for infusion in the School of Nursing programs from our second baccalaureate program, master's program, at programs, and also the clinical doctoral programs, the Doctor of Nursing Practice programs. We have developed a proposal that was presented to the, the Office of the Provost related to uh, developing climate change knowledge in the School of Nursing, but also in, with an interprofessional focus. We held an introductory workshop for health professionals to address climate change and share climate change knowledge, climate change and health knowledge. That was held in November of 2018. And we have an all-day symposium planned for Saturday, April 6th, 2019, here at the Institute. Our keynote speaker Gina McCarthy, who you may know was former EPA administrator in the Obama administration. She's a climate change and health giant nationally and internationally. 
And she is now professor of um, public health practice at Harvard School of Public Health. And in May of 2018, she launched their Center for Climate Change and Global Health at the Harvard School of Public Health. So she's our keynote speaker. We also have Renee Salas, who's on our keynote panel, along with Teresa LaRock and um, others. And Renee Salas authored the recently released 2018 Lancet Countdown Report, The U.S. Brief. And uh, so Renee's joining us, and we have several other um, um, prominent speakers to address climate change. And we do have an interprofessional focus, clearly, with our physician colleagues, occupational health colleagues, and nursing colleagues and others. Wow, that sounds like an incredible event. It'll be wonderful speakers, and um, I hope that you have lots of attendees and great interactions. Thank you, Beth. Yeah. So tell me more about how this program that you're working on um, got started and, and what, what are you addressing so far? You mentioned curriculum, scholarship, justice, and being involved in communities. Tell me more. So I uh, had a postdoctoral fellowship at the Harvard School of Public Health, and uh, at the time I also completed a Master of Public Health in International Health, and then I was a Fulbright Scholar in South Africa. My area of research has been HIV, quality of life, HIV symptom management, and I had three studies with my colleague Inga Corliss in South Africa on adherence to HIV meds, TB medications, and cellular phone use as adherence reminders. When I came back from that postdoctoral fellowship, I continued with my HIV research group, which is a, a group of national and international colleagues focused on HIV symptom management, most recently health literacy, and um, we're actually launching a new study. But in the in the midst of all of this, I read a special edition of the journal Health and Human Rights. And Paul Farmer, um, Jay Lemery, and, co- and another colleague had a, uh, and launched this particular special edition on climate change. They had an editorial called The Great Procrastination that focused on um, the slow movement in addressing climate change globally and also the health consequences of climate change. So I became very interested in that. My colleague Sue Ellen Brakey here at the MGH Institute and I co-authored a paper on climate change, climate justice, and health and and environmental health implications for the nursing profession that was published in a special edition of the Journal of Nursing Scholarship. And uh, as you may know, Susan Gennaro is the editor of that journal. There were several very fascinating papers. Ann Kurth, dean at Yale School of Nursing, had a paper on planetary health. And Trish J. Davidson, a dear colleague, is the dean at Hopkins, and she had a wonderful paper uh, related to climate change and health. And I um, mentioned Linda McCauley, the dean at um, Emory, also had a paper in the special edition of Journal of Nursing Scholarship. And it was really quite fascinating to um, think about the important implications of the, the of climate change and the deleterious uh, health consequences of climate change and health 
And so that really sparked my interest. In addition, I co-authored a paper with Jean Leffers and Ruth McDermott-Levy, two additional climate change nurse and nursing giants. Uh, Jean Leffers had a paper in Nursing Outlook on uh, policy paper on climate. And Ruth McDermott, so we had a paper on a mandate for nursing education to address uh, climate change in the curriculum that was in that same special edition of Journal of Nursing Scholarship. And it looked at what nursing, uh, the nursing profession should be doing related to climate change and uh, nursing curricula. And most recently, I had a paper with um, Inga Corliss, Sue Ellen Brakey, and our doctoral nursing colleague, um, Alicia Lillianfeld, in Nursing Outlook, which was a scoping review of the literature on climate change and health that we um, utilized Florence Nightingale's incredible work around environmental health, and we also framed it within the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And as you well know, Goal 13 focuses on um, climate action in the UN's uh, Sustainable Development Goals. So that was our framework in that particular manuscript. And then most recently, Suelle and I and I have submitted a paper on the economic in, uh, economics of climate change and the intersection with conflict, violence, and migration that we submitted for a special edition of the journal Nursing Economics. So there's a lot of um, momentum in the nursing community around climate change, and as you know. Um, Beth, we had a, a, a panel with John Balbus from the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences with you and myself at the most recent American Academy of Nursing meeting in 2018 in Washington, D.C., looking at um, nursing's role in addressing climate change. So our center here at the MGH Institute is one uh, just one example of momentum in the nursing community and the interprofessional health professions communities. Wow, that's terrific work. And you've obviously been a leader in this work and a thought leader. I, I wondered if you could tell us, tell the listeners in you know a brief brief period, um, enlighten us about the uh, um, um, justice impacts, some of the justice impacts, environmental justice and other of climate change. How does it Im affect people differently? Sure. So what we know about climate change is that those who least contribute to greenhouse gas emissions are those who are and will be disproportionately affected by the negative sequelae of climate change. And in particular, in the um, the um, editorial that was the, the preliminary paper in the journal Health and Human Rights that um, Lemery, uh, Williams, Lemery, and Farmer actually wrote about the, um, the fact that uh, those uh, the, that live in areas of the world um, that where they won't have be able to mitigate the health impacts of climate change are those who really are most affected. I um, am 
taking uh, courses on climate change and health. And one of the the papers that I wrote about um, climate change and health really focused on the fact that um, in one example, one exemplar is that in Cape Town, South Africa, because of a multi-year drought, the um, in the Cape Town area, the reservoir that provides fresh water was at only 13% capacity in early 2018. And as a result of that, the uh, uh, officials in Cape Town were going to completely shut down the fresh water supply because they had no ability to really provide um, the, enough fresh water for the Cape Town area, including the townships. And um, it was an a area of grave concern in in that area of the country. And of course, it's it's an issue that is affecting many areas of the world where, again, those who least contribute to greenhouse gas emissions are disproportionately affected. And because of a major effort and major public health campaign focusing on limiting use of water, the, they were able to avert day zero, which was the absolute shutdown of water, the water supply. But what we know is that because of droughts affecting the world, that issues related to day zero are likely to increasingly affect other other parts of the world. Uh, another example is that the spark that it ignited the Syrian conflict was again a multi-year drought that um, killed many of the livestock that uh, found, uh, that herdsmen um, used that used for food supply and also the arable land in Syria was so deeply affected by drought that farmers couldn't go grow crops. As a result, they moved into the cities, saw the incredible poverty and the, um, the lack of, of equality uh, that affected people in the cities. And that really sparked the Syrian conflict and the migrant crisis in the Middle East and Western Europe. Wow, those are great examples, very, very vivid and in our recent memory. Um, and we um, see that these are getting worse and getting uh, more widespread. And as you say, those folks who are the least, not only have contributed the least to greenhouse gases, but also are often the least prepared to deal with these impacts are yes. those who, who suffer the most. Thank you for um, explaining that and uh, giving those examples. I want to ask you another question based on your experience, um, not only in education, but you mentioned also in scholarship and research and perhaps in behaviors and actions like in the communities. If you had to give a, a quick description to nurses about what should nurses do about climate change, what would you say? 
I think it's critically important that, first of all, it be in curricula from baccalaureate to doctoral education, as I mentioned previously. Secondly, that in professional education, so for practicing nurses, it's critically important that we provide continuing education as well as formal educational opportunities to address climate change and the negative health consequences of climate change. For nurses who practice in emergency departments being able to assess and um, develop um, interventions to implement actions, education, et cetera, and then to evaluate nursing interventions, whether it's education, medication management interventions. Those are all critically important. So one example is nurses who practice in emergency departments may see particularly elders or young children who are affected by heat stress in communities here in the Northeast in the summer, but in other areas in the South where increasing um, episodes of heat and resulting heat stress are, are occurring. Air issues related to air quality. I know that in Texas, they have what are called ozone days where the air quality is extremely poor. We know this is occurring in countries such as China and India, but here close to home, we're having issues around air quality. Here in Boston at the Institute, because of um, climate change, we have sea level rise, and we had three days where we had episodes of saltwater intrusion where harbor water came over the wall right on the campus of the Institute, and the Institute was closed, but our community didn't really attribute it to climate change. It was considered negative weather events related to um northeasters and snow days etc but i think the piece around education for nur- for nurses and other health professionals in formal education but in continuing education are really important another example we have a formal partnership with the harvard kent school which is just a couple of blocks from the institute we have students across all he- the health professions who are part of the community at Harvard Kent School. They have two high traffic highways that impact air quality. The asthma rates are high. In the summer, they have issues around heat stress because students go to camp, yet they may be outdoors. And and um, both those who oversee camp activities, whether they're teachers or professionals or camp um camp guides, they need to be educated around heat stress that can affect students and that students really shouldn't be out in the high temperatures and that they may be exposed to weather that is really unhealthy for them. So those are just some examples around um, exposure to outdoor and indoor air pollutants and allergens that can affect asthma rates and other respiratory diseases and heat heat stress and heat stroke that can particularly affect the vulnerable populations, both youth and elders. So a couple of examples, Beth. Those are great examples. Thank you, Patrice. And it, it makes um, a lot of sense that, of course, nurses need to know about that. The, these are issues that are affecting health right in front of us right now today. 
And also to have, a, as you've said, a, a good understanding of the mechanisms behind climate change so that we can be um, keeping up with the scientists who make predictions about future health impacts, because they, they happen rather quickly now now that we're starting to see them and categorize them as climate effects we're seeing them uh, in a lot of places. Yes, and two other just very quick examples, Beth, are for example, occupational um, impacts related to climate change. So heat stress is one really important example. I'm located here in the Northeastern United States and heat stress is a major issue in summer months. In addition, in southern communities, it's even a more dramatic issue. And we know that the southeastern U.S., it's predicted that they will be dramatically impacted by climate change over the next 50 and, and beyond years. And occupational stress, so for example, for farm workers, it's a major, major health issue in Florida, for example, in Texas. And then another example is that in the U.S., we're heavily dependent upon migrant farm workers, many of whom may be undocumented. And there's an epidemic both in Central America, but also also here in the U.S. of chronic um, renal failure related to lack of access to enough water while farming and exposure to heat and not having enough breaks from heat stress. So we know that we need to do an incredible amount of education for farm workers, but also those who oversee farm workers to assure that they provide enough access to water and uh, breaks from heat so that uh, chronic renal failure due to dehydration is not another uh, negative sequelae related to climate change. Yes, that's a great reminder. Thank you. And that affects people around the nation and around the world uh, it's, you know, differently in the very dry areas compared to the very humid areas, but the heat is uh, certainly a growing issue. Yes. Um, I have a question for you, and it's really more about your own development as a nurse and as a scholar in um, addressing this issue. Um, you know, when I think back to my early career, this was not on the on the table. It wasn't even in the scientific literature yet because I've been a nurse a long time. But to, th and as I think about my own experience of, of beginning to appreciate um, climate change and really our entire envir environmental crisis from a planetary level to a local level, um, I just wondered about how did that develop for you? When, at, What was it? What sorts of things started to push you more in this direction? When did that happen? Tell me about your own evolution a little bit. Sure. So when I studied in the postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard School of Public Health, and I was uh, taking all of the Master of Public Health courses that were required, I, I mentioned I had a focus on international health, and I also uh, took as many courses as possible uh, in HIV at the time. Jonathan Mann was still alive and was just finishing up his tenure at Harvard. But I also had a required course called Introduction to Environmental Health. The professor was Joseph Brain, who was the chair of the department, and they had a very heavy focus on um, 
exposure to vector-borne diseases, in particular in the Northeast. We know that uh, Lyme disease, for example, babesiosis, and other diseases are an incredible problem and a growing problem uh, related to changes in climate and uh, the fact that the vectors uh, of Lyme disease, for example, can live longer. So that's a, a tremendous problem, particularly in the Northeastern United States, but a growing problem elsewhere. So I learned a lot about that at the time. And then as more and more of climate change was um, um, published in the scientific literature as well as in um, lay, lay literature, I became fascinated by it and the growing impact on health and climate change. So that's really how I, how it, I launched my interest in climate change. And then I started reading, and in particular, the the literature, so the social justice literature around climate change and uh, climate justice became important to me. And then I read about the Mary Robinson Foundation. She was the, the first female president in Ireland, and um, she developed the Mary Robinson Foundation uh, for Climate Justice, and she was uh, the UN commissioner um, on climate change with a heavy focus on climate justice. Now, um, as background, former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, is the UN ambassador on climate change and a very active ambassador, as was Mary Robinson. So that's really how my interest um, was launched in that regard. So we... Um, we developed a steering committee here at the Institute with interested fac school of nursing faculty. We have a very committed group of faculty here at the MGH Institute. We launched our climate change center. We've had support from our the office of the provost, as well as our president, Paula Milo Nuzzo, who, who you may know, who, as you know, Beth, is the um, treasurer of the American Academy of Nursing, and she's very um, ad she's an advocate for our center and for the uh, focusing on the uh, climate change and health. So that's a bit of my background around climate change and health. That's great. Thank you for explaining that. And and I have another follow up question that I often explore with people. Um, many people find this work overwhelming. Um, don't know where to begin, believe that they can't make a difference, uh, find it depressing, you know, and it, and I don't, uh, I don't disagree with that. But I just, I wondered if you had anything to share, wisdom to share about how you stay motivated, how you stay positive, or you don't get overwhelmed. So it's incredibly important. Climate change communication is an, an incredibly important area. The George Mason University has a um, center for climate change communication, and they have and the Yale School of Public Health. They heavily focus on how to address climate change communication, so that messages of fear don't really frighten off people who may engage in climate change work, who may read more about climate change, who may. Uh, share climate change messages with others. 
So what's uh, very, very interesting is a document called Global Warmings, Six Americas. So we know that climate change is really more focused on climate change and that climate change takes a variety of forms. But the lay, the um, the lay population still often refers to it as global warming. So I will use that term since that is important. And they have global warming six Americas, which focuses on perceptions of the health consequences of climate warming and key beliefs related to climate warming. And it's published by George Mason University. They have several documents and several iterations across years. And the and it's also published by the Yale Project on Climate Change Communication. And what it um, covers is um, overview and key findings, a look at the six Americas and the awareness and understanding of the human health problems caused by global warming, perceived risks. And the, the six Americas it's divided into audience segments, Beth, and they include the alarmed. So they're the group that have the highest belief in global warming, the most concerned about it, and the most motivated to address it. And it's on a continuum from alarmed, and then there's a concerned group, and then a cautious group, and then a disengaged group, and then a doubtful and then a dismissive group. So it's a continuum from highest belief in global warming, most concerned and most motivated, to the lowest belief in global warming, least concerned and least motivated. So that's the dismissive group, followed by the doubtful group on the continuum. So it is important how we message climate change communication. And messages that focus on fear may actually turn off those who are in the um, the dismissive and doubtful group. But there are also messages that can be, for example, patriotic, that really fully engage people. There are faith-based messages that really can connect people. And uh, what I will end with. Uh, this comment about, with is that climate change communication is a whole science that health professionals, particularly nurses, should become um, um, more knowledgeable about. Great. Thank you. Those are great resources. And um, I, I love to follow that work on the Six Americas <clears throat> as it changes over time, um, but still keeps sort of the um, fear in perspective, perhaps. Yes. And I agree with you that the science of communications is really important in this area. As we try to make these changes while we are under the pressure of the changes, it's really a fascinating um, conundrum. Yes. And I say that in a lighthearted way, though I don't always feel lighthearted about it. Yes. Um, so I know we're getting close to the end of our time. I just wanted to, to, ask, um, to say, ask you the question, um, I know you work with nurses a lot. You work with students. You work with professionals. You work with colleagues at all levels. But if you had the floor to speak to all 4 million nurses right now, which I'm afraid to say all 4 million aren't going to listen, but there will be some people listening who have not thought a lot about this a lot. What would you say to them about, about climate change and particularly nurses' role in climate change? 
I believe that every nurse has a responsibility to read about the health effects of climate change, to become uh, well aware of these, to include uh, um, the lens of climate change in the care that you provide. So whether you're an emergency department nurse, and I referred to that earlier, but we don't want to just focus on uh, in emergency preparedness. We need to think about the chronic health effects related to climate change, vulnerable and vulnerable populations. If you're a nurse practicing in the acute care setting and you're caring for patients with uh, chronic respiratory diseases, asthma, other diseases, heart diseases, in your discharge assessment, you need to be thinking about, are they a vulnerable population? Do they have access? Will they be affected by heat stress, perhaps heat stroke? Do they have access to air conditioning and other measures to limit their potential negative outcomes related to their chronic health issues? Do Are they nurses who have, care for pediatric populations? Think about asthma and the issues around air quality, exposure to mold related to, related to flooding, salt water intrusion, etc. And um, nurses who practice in community health settings have an incredible responsibility, as do school health nurses and nurses in doctoral and leadership positions, thinking about sustainability initiatives in hospitals and healthcare organizations, because we know that we disproportionately um, contribute to uh, greenhouse gas emissions through um, um, all of the impacts of health, hospitals and healthcare organizations organizations and waste products as well. Right. So not only do we need to be aware of the ways that climate change is making health worse, we also need to do our part on mitigation, particularly in our practice areas of practice concern. Absolutely agree. And we know that we look through the lens around climate change and nurses should do so also around climate change mitigation, as you just addressed, whether that's in hospitals, if it's an oncology nurse, assuring that you use the appropriate refuse containers, because we know that regular refuse does not cost as much or lead to as many greenhouse gas emissions as refuse that has to be more carefully disposed of. Uh, looking at climate change adaptation for patients and uh, communities and populations, and then looking at climate change resilience efforts. Yes. Wow. Terrific. That's a great, great outline. And it's, um, it, it tells me that we need a um, climate change focus. We could have climate change specialists, <laughs> though, of course, we need it, as you say, for all nurses, because all people are, are impacted. Agree. And we're actually launching online courses for a climate change health certificate for nurses and others. We're launching those in summer or early fall baths, and we welcome nurses worldwide, lo locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally to take our courses at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. Fantastic. And um, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll get that word out when it's ready. And I think folks at Annie, the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments, can also help get that word out with you. Yes, that yeah. our partners in this yes. important work. That's right. Well, Patrice, it's just been a delight talking with you. I've learned so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add today? 
I'd like to say that it's the largest and most trusted workforce. Nursing can make a unique, powerful, and enduring contribution to climate change and health, the health of individuals, communities, populations, and globally. Well said. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Fantastic. And thank you so much, Patrice, for sharing your experience, education, and commitment with us. And thank you all for listening to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Check us out at environ.org, where you can find this and many other episodes. Please leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. And talk to you next time. <laughs>